Welcome to Maximum Octane and your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution in the automotive industry. I'm your host, Kim Hickey, former shop owner turned industry educator, speaker, and entrepreneurial motivator. Each week during our ride together, you will hear unfiltered stories of inspiration and transformation shared by successful business owners and CEOs. Their experiences will motivate you to do things you never thought possible, encourage you to reach your full potential, and help you to exchange unproductive habits for productive ones. While many of my guests will be related to the automotive industry, it's crucial in the world of tomorrow that we stop being silos and we open our minds to ideas and inspiration from other industries as well. We also know that to be truly successful in business, you must have a healthy work and home life balance. All of my guests are handpicked with these crucial elements in mind. Our industry is evolving by the second, and we need to as well. Buckle up, because here we go. Hello, Debbie. How are you today? Hey, Kim. <laughs> How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. And so I'm trying to get my thoughts together because we've been chatting for a bit before going online. So I uh, want to welcome you this week to Maximum Octane. And today, your first episode actually dropped. So this will kind of be a part two and continuous. You have graciously agreed to sort of continue on and, and have a series about emotional intelligence and all the importance of it. So, so thank you for joining me today. And as always, the same as the last time you were on, all of the links to get in touch with Debbie is going to be posted on there. So I watched a presentation. I didn't get to see it live last night about, or live when it, when you presented it, but I watched, started the recording last night about when okay is not okay in the, in the, in the workplace. Right. And so I have so many questions and comments about that, but when you think about it in general, we're, you know, we're always talking about and culture and employee engagement and, and all of those great buzzwords that people like to say, but they don't really want to put the work into it. And part of that is, you know, assessments to see where everybody's at, where's their head at. We just want to say we're working on culture. We have pizza parties, you know, we do a bowling thing, you know, we have a birthday cake and we think, wow, that's our culture. We have an engaged culture. We have a great place to work, right? Do you, do you see that in the professional world? <laughs> uh, yes. In our office, we might refer to that as magic wanding. Right? Magic wanding. Magic, magic wanding. wanding in so many things, right? We just wish that we could wave them on a wand and, and make it better or or make it the way that we wish it to be. And the reality is that never happens. I'm reading, and this is so belated, I'm actually embarrassed to say this out loud, but in the, the spirit of authenticity and vulnerability, very belatedly reading the book Grit. And Angela Duckworth goes into such wonderful discussion about what's talent, what makes people successful. And she talks about passion and purpose and skill and effort and all of these things. And, and so here's what it makes me think. I'm a huge sports fan, right? I love watching any kind of sports at any level. I'm really excited for the Winter Olympics coming up. I will lose a lot of sleep once again, like I did over the summer, <laughs> watching the Summer Olympics. We see those folks and, and we can armchair quarterback them and we can applaud what they do and we can talk about how amazing it is. But what none of us see are the eight hours. I was a former gymnast, so I'll use my sport. The eight hours in the gym, the sweat, the blood, the tears, the nutrition training, the sleep training, the weightlifting, the stretching, the yoga, none of us see 
all of what's under the hood of what we see when they perform. And, you know, that's a little bit, to your point, um, kind of this magic wanding thing, right? Organizations, we, we want and need engagement and because that leads to so many wonderful, productive, collaborative things. And pizza parties are awesome. Who doesn't like a slice? But that's not the weightlifting and the stretching and the yoga and the endurance training and the repetition. It's only that stuff. It's only seeing where we are and crafting a plan on how we get there that we actually get to culture change. So yeah, I, I'm with you. Everybody out there, if you ever do a presentation with a lot of people in a room and say, how many of you would like a more engaged workforce? You know, you're pretty insured to get every hand to go up. It's the blood, sweat, and tears that has to happen underneath that really that gets you there. And, and that's the space kind of where we live. And I not necessarily blood, sweat, and tears, but with effort, focus, and intention. For sure. And it's not just saying it is not meaning that you have it. And and by no means am I saying don't have pizza parties or buy a cake for a birthday or any, those things are wonderful, but those acts themselves do not mean that you have an engaged culture or any of the other things that you need to, to make your organization run properly and, and have people really want to feel like they're part of something bigger and all of that. And what really struck me last night, listening to the presentation on the, the, you know, when is it okay to be okay? Or I'm paraphrasing here is we have that, that piece, you know, people talk about the 80, 20 rule and they say, okay, you know, 10% of your people in your workforce that are superstars, it's 10% that are in the bottom that really shouldn't be there. And then you have the 80% in the middle. There's all kinds of numbers, depending which book you read. Some people feel a strong organization should turn over their lower 20% all the time to make sure, you know, there's, there's all those things, but no matter how you slice it or how you do the percentages, there's that, that middle piece, right? And those are the folks, whether they're in your family, whether they're in your group of friends, whether they're in your organization that sort of get ignored because they're not causing any fires, right? They're, they're just there, they're plugging along, they're doing their thing, they're not raising any flags, and they're not raising their hand to say, hey, put me in coach, right? They're just there. And I just, I'm probably going to show my age here, but I think of Jan Brady all the time, the Brady Bunch. <laughs> And, you know, she always was like, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Why is it always Marsha, right? And so the Jan Brady's and the, you know, many of you out there are the middle child syndrome and all. There's there's sort of that no man's land in between, right? And so there's so much more that we can get out of that no man's land, right? And so much more productivity, engagement, discretionary effort and, and all of those things. So can you touch on that a little bit? Cause it, you know, obviously that was a presentation that was more than, you know, a, a half an hour to talk about, but you guys really touched on some great things. And one more thing I just want to say, I find it so funny because Genos international, right. Comes from Australia <laughs> over there. And so whenever I hear something from you or, or Jeff and they, they make a big announcement, you know, that this is, you know, Jeff Mono from North America. And it's just so funny to me to, to hear that. So yay, North America that we're getting on the charts there. So sorry, yeah. I, I went down another rabbit hole, but let's talk about the Jan Brady's. 
talk about Jan Brady, Marsha, 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 um, which is a, a really great analogy, by the way. But yeah, you know, this group of Jan Brady's, right? These are really wonderful, good human beings who are likely coming to work every day. They're getting work done every day. As you said, they're not tossing up any red flags, but they're also not also not creating like new fiery brand new innovative ideas, right? They're they're sort of passengering on this organizational ship, if you will. And Jeff and I really like to call these folks, I hadn't thought about them as Jan Brady, so this is great. But this is organizationally, this is talent that's hiding in plain sight. There's a massive, massive amount of talent in that population, which, by the way, is the largest population in an organization. You know, you sort of reference this 10% at the top or 10% at the bottom or 20%, 20%. And we've been in this space for years, you know, roughly over all these years, it kind of shakes out to about 16% are people that organizations would call top performers. About 16% are people who fall at the other end of that spectrum. And everybody else is in the middle. And so often, Here's what happens. Number one, an organization puts a lot of time and attention and resources and effort into that population kind of in that bottom 16% because they are actively seeking to, and I know that you listeners can't see me, but I'm using air quotes, fix that, trying to fix that individual or that team or whatever that case may be. On the other end of that spectrum, you've got these folks who leadership really, I think, feels really great that these people are on board. These are strong performers. These are people that they count on. And sadly, what happens to those folks is one of two things almost always. One, they're just completely ignored. Unlike the Brady's where Marsha, Marsha, Marsha gets all the attention. (laughs) They're just kind of ignored because the organization's like, oh, Kim's good. She's doing her thing. But the second thing that happens with that is anytime that something is missing because we're lacking performance, or we've got this talent that's hiding in plain sight, but just yet isn't equipped to do it, top performers can tend to get piled on. We'll just give it to Kim. Kim will do it. Kim always bails us out. She'll take care of it. And so this is an interesting phenomenon that I'm going to tie together to this middle group. So this middle group, this talent that's hiding in plain sight, simply just doesn't know, hasn't been given the attention, hasn't have the opportunity to be measured on how they're doing certain things and beyond the measurement, creating a plan and receiving some specific training on how to get there. I don't know what I don't know, yet it's a gift when you tell me when I learned something I didn't know, but now you need to tell me how do I, how do I get there? I didn't know that I was lacking here. Now I know that I'm lacking here, but how do I get there? And that's the tap. If you could just take some time and effort with that group. It's kind of like, and and you might've gotten to this part in that presentation, it's like hot water is really good, right? We can do a lot of really great things with hot water. Hot water at 211 degrees is hot water. You make an awesome cup of tea with hot water. You kick that up one degree from 211 degrees to 212 degrees. Now it's something completely different. Now it's steam. And steam that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Favorite videos. If anybody has not done that, do yourself a favor and Google 212 degrees. And it's amazing about that one more 
degree in this and everything that if you give it, it's, it's wonderful. One degree. And so these Jan Brady's can be just one degree <laughs> away from, I know poor Jan, but she's serving us well. So she's getting some good attention. This is great. This group of people with that one degree, right? They're so close. If they can have some attention, some measurement, some coaching, some action planning, and some training, then that that one degree, they only need to learn a little bit, but that gives you great benefit on the back end. That gives them great benefit on the back end. That gives the organization a great benefit on the back end. And the thing that I kind of wanted to sort of loop together, because we talked about that top population kind of getting ignored and or piled on, we've got all kinds of statistics. And there's one in particular that comes from OC Tanner that 79% of people leave organizations because they don't feel appreciated. Think about that. 79% of the people, ultimately the reason that they choose to walk out the door is because they didn't feel appreciated. So by ignoring our top performers and piling on them, we are not merely running the risk of them walking out the door, we're actually opening the door for them to walk out of it because we're not expressing appreciation and and for all of their efforts. And with everybody else, if we can help people grow to understand how to express appreciation appropriately, how to become more emotionally intelligent in your leadership and in your service and in your teammateship, By the way, I think this is a huge element to the great resignation. If organizations are not giving their people a reason to stay, then that is giving them a reason to go. I just, I verified the numbers again yesterday, I think, because it was so staggering to me that there's 11 million, we'll call it job openings. So they want to say career, whatever, but job openings and 6.9 million people unemployed to, to fill them. So we are at, there's never been a time in our life that it was so important, emotional intelligence and really engaging, truly engaging our, our, our culture and, and employees and putting in that work because we're not only competing with our industry, whatever industry it is, we're competing with every industry because there's so many job openings and so many people are desperate they're offering to pay to move people, you know, working remotely, crazy different kind of benefits and signing bonuses and all these things. It's not, you know, years ago, if you were in the automotive, you know, if you were in the automotive business, you're a technician, your shop owners were competing with other shops, right? Now they're competing with 11 million jobs throughout the country. And the remote world has really opened that up and made it even more competitive. So one of the things that I want to, there's a few things that you said that I want to just touch on. There is sadly sometimes an attitude of business owners or management that says that middle middle group is there by their choice, that they gave them the same resources and the same tools as the top group performing group has. And they they're leaving it up to the Jam Brady's to raise their hand and say, coach put me in, or I would like special training instead of the opposite. What, what can you say about that a little bit? Yeah. So that's really interesting. And I think that this is all about growth and development and betterment, right? So let me use myself as an example. 
when I was um, a much younger gal, I was a gymnast. I was a competitive gymnast. I was never going to be Nadia Kamenich. I was never going to be Mary Lou Retton. And now I just in awe of an athlete like Simone Biles. And I'm in awe of her for a multitude of reasons, uh, including her very focused attention on well-being, which we could probably talk about in a separate session. But no matter how hard I worked, I'm never going to be Simone Biles. However, with some focused attention, and that I think that's the key is focused, right? Because a lot of training is that. It is, I'm going to put it out there. And, this, and it is what it is. And, and you get it or you don't, or you get some of it or you don't, right? The beauty of being in this space is that assessments are designed so that you get very specific information. You get to know exactly where you are excelling. Where are my strengths? Where am I showing up in a way that's really making it happen in a productive way with the people around me? And where are my gaps? Where am I, where am I missing those opportunities? So the power of assessment is that it's very customized. And when you get very customized result, and I can see my strengths and my areas of opportunity for growth, and then you put me into a training program, ooh, now I get to pick out the elements of that training program that are really resonating with the areas I want to capitalize on and I want to grow in. So let me come back to Simone Biles. I'm Debbie. No matter how much training and coaching, no matter where you sent me, I'm never going to be Simone Biles. Yet I could have been a much better Debbie gymnast with focused training, with a customized action plan, with focused coaching. And so this is that piece in the middle, right? Where people say, well, we we gave them all the same skills, right? You could put me in a calculus class, but I don't really have the underpinnings (laughs) of the math to get the calculus. So what I hear in training programs around calculus is what the peanuts teacher did. Wah, 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 right? I just can't, I can't grab onto it. I can't, re- it doesn't resonate with me. I don't get how it applies to my world. Ooh, but when you start measuring me and I can see those things privately and personally and customized to me, and then I go into a training program because now I have the underpinnings of the information. Oh, that's like giving me a steroid to learn. And that, That right there is, I think, the element, Kim. It is helping people who fall into that kind of, they're okay. Well, how can you move each of them a little further to the more productive side? Because if an organization did that, if everybody got incrementally better, the entire organization is going to benefit from that. We, We connect better. We communicate better. We collaborate better. We are more engaged we're better leaders. And then we get all the wonderful things on the back end from that. So it's not just picking up this group of a block and trying to move them as a block all the way over, but rather helping each person hone their skill set and develop their skill set, each of them individually, which collectively moves the entire group closer toward really strong performance. That, that's such an important point because I think as evolved as we think we have become, as mentors and leaders and business people, there still is a mentality of, you know, here's the training, here's the onboard, here's the whatever you do it. And it, it really isn't customized for each person. And that's where I think the danger zone is right now with, a, of course, you know, trying to 
attract fantastic internal customers and keep internal customers that we have and that people don't want to put in the work to make it customized, to really look at each person as an individual and say, this is what resonates with them. This is what's important to them. And it fascinates me because we do it all day long in sales and everybody's a salesperson. Anyone out there that's going, I'm not in sales. I'm not a salesperson. You're full of it because you you've never some, tried to get your kids to eat their peas. You're a salesperson. Your kids eat your peas, your dog to, you know, whatever, go outside. Your, you know, significant other to get that couch or car or whatever. You sell all day long, all day long. I, I don't care. I just love when people are like, I'm not a salesperson. Yeah, you are. I, I watch you all. You are. But in sales, if you or if you're selling with intent, you you learn about understanding the buying personalities, right? If you're, you know, whatever industry you're in, and in my in the automotive, we know that our customers that come in, external customers, are typically, you know, either they're a fear-based buyer, their comfort, their performance, they're, you know, we have a, a few other ones, but when you are giving them the information, you still give them the same information, but you have a little bit of a different twist to it. Because if you are a fear-based buyer, you know, that's your buying personality and you're always afraid of your car breaking down. I'm not going to speak to you with the same exact way I would somebody that cares just about performance and their vehicle being performance, right? I'm going to change the words. If you need brakes, I'm still going to explain to you about the brakes and, and, the how and the why it works the same way I would for the performance person, but I'm not going to say, Oh man, you're going to be able to stop on a dime when you're going hundred miles an hour, because the fear-based person buying personality doesn't care. I'm going to talk to you about safety and, and vice versa. And so we spend a lot of time and energy, you know, learning those things about buying personalities or whatever you want to call them. But then for our external customers, but internal customers, we don't. And we're just like, Oh, it's one size fits all. Here's this, you know, training block we have and we're not paying attention to in an organization. If you have a group of any more than two people, when you're having a meeting, you have to bring up the things that are interesting or appeal to the two different kind of people. You don't have to have separate meetings. You know, you can touch on something and then touch on something else. But we completely ignore that fact that people are different and more and more you know, people are grasping onto their individuality and saying, hey, I'm not like everybody else. I don't want to be everybody else. This is me. This is what's important. And why aren't you noticing that? And, you know, there's so many rich things in what you just said there. And uh, the thing that occurred to me when you were talking about recognizing kind of the, the buying styles is in my world, because I'm always talking about emotional intelligence, right? These are elements of emotional intelligence. This is really understanding the other person's perspective, right? This is empathy. Can you, can you walk in that customer's shoes? What, what is it like to be your own customer? If, if you were getting this message from yourself, right? What would that look like? What would that feel like? And what emotional intelligence is, is really sort of this connective tissue. It's really this humanness. It's, it's connecting from one person to the other authentically being curious about where they're coming from and wanting to offer them a solution. And that's the case certainly in sales because there's a lot of effort placed on sales training and with salespeople to do that because sales, sales is emotion. revenue. Right. And sales is based on emotion. But I will tell you, we are 
not thinking machines who feel. We are feeling machines who think. We human beings do everything on emotion. And the thinking is on the back end of that. And while I would love to take credit for that quote, that is coming from a neuroscientist called Antonio Damasio, world-renowned neuroscientist. We are not thinking machines who feel, we are feeling machines who think. And this notion of having human emotions and feelings, even if people say, oh, I don't let that intrude on my workplace, it's impossible because they are intrinsic in us being human. (laughs) They are the very essence of our humanity. And so they come with us all day, every day, all of the time. Well, except for all our members that are of family, whether it's spouses, significant others, or, you know, parents and children, they, they don't take anything home with them. They draw a line before they leave. The- <laughs> yeah. Can't really scoop that out and put it in your locker at the workspace, right? I mean, that goes home with you. And what happens at home comes with you, right? Holistically, we, we are beings who sleep and eat and work and love and have families and, In the last two years, work came home with us and home came to work with us in a bigger, more broader way than it ever has before. Oh, yeah. And you made such a really powerful statement that I wanted to circle back to it because when organizations are looking at having competitive advantages, right, and this is what every organization is after, right? We want a highly engaged workforce. We want to have a competitive advantage. We want to be able to do it bigger, better, stronger, faster than the other guys that are out there. This is the the sporting part of being in business in this country. Well, if you would love to, here's a great nugget to write down, right? If you would love to have a competitive advantage, then treat each other and treat your staff and treat your leaders and have your leaders treat your staff and your leaders treat each other. Then treat them emotionally, intelligently. Be smarter with those feelings that are already in your workplace Rather than ignore them, maximize them, learn about them and hone them to be productive. Because what you said, Kim, is so very true. It used to be organization A was competing for employees that came from that community. And everybody had their hand in that same candidate pool. And now that is no longer the case. The longer work from home and remote work comes about, the more organizations realize that if we're going to succeed, we need to break down some of these barriers we used to have. We need to embrace that people can live anywhere and do this kind of work for us if that's possible. So in essence, everybody is kind of competing for everybody. And how are you, what is your competitive advantage? Most organizations will start to talk about what they've achieved, right? Our organization does this, our products do that, we do this, which is really important and part of the discussion. But I will tell you that the competitive advantage is culture, and it's crafting a culture where people feel valued and appreciated and heard. And if organizations can craft those kinds of cultures, then what they're doing is giving people a reason to stay giving people a reason to tell other people to come work for that organization, giving people a reason to do business with that organization. And if you're not actively building a culture where people feel valued and appreciated and heard, then by default, you're driving them out the door. 
Absolutely. And I'm glad you said about by default, because there's so many times that I see business owners because some of them are not leaders or, you know, mentors. So we're just going to say business owners to just encompass everyone. But so many times the thought process is just, this is our structure. Here's how we have it. It's still, it makes me crazy looking at job advertisements or whatever. And it's like, oh, come work for us. We treat you like family, um, you know, only Monday through Friday, no weekends, no nights, no whatever. Holy cow. People haven't wanted to work weekends or evenings for a year. That is so, <laughs> that's like not even a, that's like saying we serve your food hot at a restaurant right at this point. And part of being aware of the emotional intelligence and, and empathetic and understanding people's needs is working with them again, individually and not having that. Our schedule is eight to five, you know, that that's it. You know, if you have a possible internal customer or a current one that, Hey, their life has changed. They now have to drop their kid off at school or whatever, take them to piano recital. I don't know in the afternoon, who cares if they start a half hour later a day, and then they take a shorter lunch or if they leave an hour early one day a week, if it's a planned and it makes sense and you understand, and everybody understands that this is the kind of company that we are, we truly understand that you are individuals. We truly understand you are humans and we're going to do whatever it is that we can to make your life easier because stuff's thrown at you all the time. It shouldn't be from where you work as well, right? We have to open our mind to being flexible and doing things that we haven't done before, right? And really acknowledging that the individual humans, because holy cow, (laughs) if we don't, we are not going to be in business. Well, the world of work is never going to look like it did pre-COVID. It will never go back to what it looked like pre-COVID. And so the parameters of the rules in the pre-COVID work world are not ever going to all apply to the post-COVID work world that we're in, right? And so you're right. This is a really interesting topic because if you have organizations who are managing these key performance indicators, like you have to be here at 8.30 and you have to stay until 5, if that's a KPI, I could come to you at 8.30 and I could leave at 5, but if you're not concerned about what I'm doing while I'm there, like I'm, I'm literally marking time for you. If what you're really after is my work output, what I do for you, what you expect that to look like, and when you expect those projects to be done, well, then who cares when I do them? What does it matter if if my best working hours are from midnight to 8 a.m. and you need this particular project in by Thursday at 5? Is it really relevant? And not all jobs certainly apply to this because I want to circle back to the parts counter position that you mentioned a bit earlier. But if I have a position where I'm not, I don't have to be at a counter or, or at a particular station, right? What does it matter when I get it done? What matters is I give you high quality work that you appreciate I've given you high quality work and I turned it in on time. And so that's a big leap for a lot of folks. And COVID really pushed this notion of growth mindset and agility, because not everybody was like down with that, right? <laughs> um, but it, but we had to be, there was a period of time that you had to be. And so I think this opened the eyes of a lot of organizations to say, hmm, we were doing it this way because we've always done it that way. So, okay, 
But now we can't do it that anymore. So how do we do it if we can't do that? And in so many circumstances, doing it a different way, even if it was forced growth mindset or forced agility, created all kinds of eye-opening opportunities for new ways to get work done. Now, I, and I, I promised you that I would circle back to the parts folks because you mentioned them earlier and I was kind of connecting those folks who are so integral in, in a business because they are the conduit between the company and the community. They are the connective tissue, right? Yeah, our service advisors and the parts people, they're, they're the face of the business and it really doesn't matter who owns the business or who's whatever, it's that the service advisor is the person that is that face, right? And so, so huge. And not only the face, but the heart and the soul and the trusted advisor, right? So I'll use kind of a girly example here, right? I had the same guy cutting my hair for years until he moved, which was a very sad day for me. How dare he? How dare he? How could he do that? But he, I must have followed him to seven or eight different salons. It wasn't the salon. It was him. I had a relationship with him. I trusted him. I knew that I was willing to try new things because I trusted him. He was the face and the voice and the heart and the soul. I followed him salon to salon. When he left a salon, I didn't stay at the salon. I went with him. And you're the, the parts folks, that's the relationship that they have with these customers, right? They are the heart and the face and the soul. They're the people who should be the trusted advisors. And so to your point, a customer might not know, nor might not even care who owns the dealership, but they know that when I walk in there, Chris gives me great service. I know if Chris tells me that this is what I need, I can trust Chris. I'm not getting sold something I don't really need. I'm not getting sold something less than what I should have. I can trust Chris's Chris's advice. So these people are integral in the success of a business. And sometimes they don't know what they don't know. So they'll be kind to a customer, which is always great. Be kind to somebody who comes in and browses, but might not buy anything. And they might say, have a nice day. But this is kind of the pizza party thing, right? Imagine if you took all of these service folks and parts folks and you had them go through an opportunity to see where they were really rocking it from an NEI standpoint, a connection standpoint, and where there might be some gaps and some very simple things to do to close those gaps. And they made deeper, stronger, more trusted connections with the community and your customers. Just think about the uptick of repeat business the uptick of increased sales because they would be more apt to recommend a few other things that could also help in the situation. Somebody's not coming in for a transaction. Now they're coming in because they have a problem that they want to be solved and they trust the person who's solving them. The loyalty and the commitment to that organization, that literally could be worth its weight in gold. The, the back. And then having those parts folks be appreciated and feel valued for what they do with the community and their job causes them to have a reason to stay, not a reason to go down the street to a competitor or leave for a whole other industry, but a similar kind of position for 50 cents more. 
this is a two-way street. So this helps the individual, which helps the business, which helps the individual, which helps the business, which grows the business because you're making these strong inroads into a community. And also the last piece is this helps from a succession, standing plan, uh, succession planning standpoint, because when you involve these folks in this kind of growth and development at any stage of their career, listen, all of us, we're lucky if we get older, right? And so we start aging and people start retiring from their position. If you've invested this kind of training, it is so much more efficient to start moving people out of contributor positions and into leadership positions because they've been developing and using these skills for quite some time. So it's a short-term business, personal, professional, long-term organizational opportunity, which is so exciting for Jan Brady. (laughs) It, it really is. It really is. And I cannot believe the time went by. So I'm going to ask you to come back again. <laughs> I'd love to. So Thank you. There's so much more to talk about this. But today for everybody, your assignment, make a list of your Jan Brady's and, and sit down and be honest and say, who are the people that we really haven't been focusing on because they've been under the radar? They're not in trouble and they're not like put me in coach and getting dumped on, you know, all of the extra work because and a whole other conversation about what you're doing with people that you're giving all this stuff to because they do it because you're making them want to become a Jam Brady because they're going to stop showing you what they can do because they get all the stuff. But make a list of your Jan Brady's today. And, and start being active with intent of, of what we can do to kind of build those diamonds in the rough. Debbie, thank you so much for joining me again today. And I am going to send you an invite in a few minutes for our next one. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Stay safe, make good choices, and stay inspired. And uh, I will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maximum Optane your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas, or you just want to be a guest on my show, I want to hear from you. You can reach me directly at mlpodcast at autotraining.net. Thanks for listening and keep seeking information everywhere that you can.